0: mic check one two here we go adjustment small adjustment here here we go welcome ladies and gentlemen to the nine finger chronicles podcast i'm your host dan johnson and today we have a really good episode we're talking with matt sherman and and Matt is going to share a really cool story with us about how he located what I would call a honey hole. He was on a piece of public property and through scouting and through actively hunting, he located a area in this public ground that had a ton of really really good sign and and so he identified that this sign was old and it wasn't from the uh you know it wasn't from recently i believe he found it in in during the late season and it was probably from october november time frame he said to himself hey man this this sign is is awesome it's a good indicator of where deer are at in a certain time of year so i'm gonna come back here next year and sure enough uh he tells the entire story of how he located this, uh, this little area on a piece of public, uh, what that area looked like, the terrain feature that this area was in, uh, the food sources, the bedding areas, so forth and so on. And he paints a picture for us of basically putting that in the memory bank or saving that information and then going back there the next year. And getting the job done on a really good public land buck. So uh, today, that's what we're going to be talking about with Matt. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, we got to say uh, a little thank you to our partners over at Tethered, Wasp, Hunt Stand and Vortex. If you're looking for a saddle, please go out and check out Tethered. They have all the saddle hunting equipment you could need platforms climbing sticks saddles saddle hunting accessories and all of the information you need whether it's videos podcasts or writing to read and educate yourself on how to become a better saddle hunter so they have all that wasp archery uh, most of their heads are made in america if you're looking for a well-designed well-built broadhead that straight up just destroys whatever it hits go check out wasparchery.com I'm a huge fan of the Boss Four Blade Fixed Blade and the head that I've killed the most deer with, period. That would be a three blade jackhammer. So I have a discount code for WASP and that is NFC20. And that's going to get you 20% off all packages, any order on uh, wasparchery.com. And then Hunt Stand, if you're looking for an app to really help you think about deer hunting all year round you gotta pick up hunt stand save it to your phone you can download it for free and then you can get the all the extra little benefits uh for paying a very very small fee uh annual fee every single year and on top of that now they have the pro whitetail platform available which is another little upgrade And uh, you can think about deer hunting all year round. It's going to help you not only with farms that you've hunted your whole life, but with farms that are maybe out of state, public land that you need to e-scout before you, you know, put boots on the ground. And so uh, go check out HuntStand.com. Read up on all the functionality. Uh, Next, we have Vortex Optics. All my The whole crew over there at Vortex, thank you guys very much. Uh, If you're looking for, and what I... What I would say is some of the best, if not the best optics on the market, especially for the outdoors, because these guys are participants in the industry and in the community that they operate in. Right. So we look at Vortex and we say, well, they're an outdoor company and they're a shooting sports company. Yes, and all of the people that work there are hunters, they're outdoorsmen, they're shooting. And how do I know this? Because I've been to their offices, I've seen these people, I've met these people, and great people great products and that, that's a win-win plus their vip warranty you break it you smash it whether it's your fault or somebody else's you put it in a box you send it to vortex they fix it for free and they send it back to you uh so vortexoptics.com rangefinders, binoculars spotting scopes rifle scopes red dots you name it they have it and then last but not least we got to talk about giving back this time of year and that's going to be two percent for conservation You can learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. And long story short, this is an opportunity. If you're a business owner, you can get your business 2% for Conservation certified. Go to the website, see how you do that. And at the same time, if you're just an individual who is already giving back and wants to learn how you can get 2% for Conservation certified, I strongly recommend going to fishandwildlife.org on an individual level. So 2% for conservation. Go check that out. Those are the commercials. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of this day to uh, uh, you know, listen, download, like. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Empire. Tons more content coming down the pipe on the Sportsman's Empire. We have a a, a turkey hunting specific podcast coming down the pipe. We have uh, another podcast uh, that I can't name quite yet that's going to be hopping on board. And so we're really looking forward to 2023. Tons of great content that I would put up against any other brand out there love that you guys are supporting us love that you are following along share us make us bigger and uh let's get the word out that the outdoors hunting and fishing is just badass so uh good luck to all of you to finish out the rest of the season and let's get into today's episode three two one all right on the phone with me today mr matt sherman matt how we doing man
1: Bad as good as i can be dan
0: yeah, yeah. That that when someone says that, that typically means they're they. It's a nice way of saying maybe today has been a little rough or this week has been a, a little rough. Have you had a rough week?
1: Oh, not terrible. Not terrible. I mean, it, yeah, it's been. I work in retail, so anytime you're at work, it can be a bad day pretty fast. But uh, <laughs> all things considered, I'm I'm lucky to be where I'm at. So
0: yeah. Uh,
1: can't do too much complaining you know
0: gotcha so so what do you do for a living where do you live
1: uh i'm a uh, i manage a store for Verizon wireless i live in lebanon missouri which is like southeast in the southeast corner
0: lebanon lebanon uh, is that around the lake <laughs> of the ozarks
1: very cl- like lake of the ozarks is probably a 30 minute drive for me
0: okay i got gotcha. you all right um all right, so retail, especially in the, the cell phone service. I mean, I've been in a, a cell phone store before or a, a wireless phone company similar to, to what where you work. And, like, you know, you, you hear the, the saying, there's no such thing as a dumb question. But, like... There is. And and some, <laughs> and some of the people that uh, I've just, you know, because I've worked in retail before too, man. I I, I know what you're talking about. Um, like, and th- that is why I like to be self-employed because I get to interact with who I choose to interact with, not anybody who decides they want my service, I guess. And so um, I really get to vet everybody, or just, you know, like if, for example, if there's someone in my life that I don't want, not necessarily on the podcast, but in my life that I don't want to hang out with, I don't got to hang out with them. I don't have to do anything. And so when, when someone who's 85 years old comes into your store and, and is tr- you're trying to explain to them uh, that they've done something wrong with their cell phone or their, their service or something like that, I bet you those can be some pretty frustrating days
1: it can now as much as there's like those customers that are frustrating i deal with a, a ton of nice people too and mm-hmm. like a perk of mm-hmm. seeing a ton of people because like where i live like the majority of people that have cell phones have verizon just because we have the best towers in the area but a super uh plus to that is that i get to talk to a lot of people specifically i get to talk to a lot of farmers Bingo. and i picked up permission to hunt some pretty cool Bingo. places that way so yeah. Making the best out of a bad situation
0: that, there. That's, yeah, I tell you what, man, Um, I know a guy who he is a, I don't know if he sells seed corn anymore, but he sells um, fertilizer and chemicals to farmers now. And he literally took that job just to make contacts in southern Iowa and get on farms to hunt. And it worked, and he is on some really good, really good permission farms, uh, you know, over the last, you know, five to seven years. And and so that guy, that's a, you know, I don't know if you necessarily got that job to talk to people to, you know, that was your in. But this guy's in was, hey, I'm going to sell chemicals to farmers and with the ultimate goal of finding a good place to hunt.
1: That is legendary right yeah. there.
0: Right, right. So I got gotcha. you. Um, all right, Missouri. Uh, is that where you spend most of your time hunting? Then.
1: Yeah, I try to take a couple of uh, out of state trips a year, like usually one in turkey season and one in uh, um, deer season or late fall. You know. Yeah. Try to make sure that my red is here, but I, I do spend probably like ninety percent of my time and effort focused here.
0: Right. Okay. So I'm trying to. It's been a while since I've been to Southern Missouri and if my memories especially around the lake of the ozarks type uh, i want you to correct me if i'm wrong though the terrain there big woods very not necessarily mountainous but v- there's a lot of terrain ups and downs and, and a lot of drainages and things like that do you hunt and live in areas similar to that
1: where i'm at isn't quite as exaggerated as the lake of the ozarks we still have a ton of like steep draws and ridges and stuff like that but the lake is kind of hard to farm due to how steep and and you know hilly the terrain is and where yep. i'm at there there's a lot of hay pastures and stuff like that it, it kind of gets into some more rolling stuff Gotcha. Uh, i'm right next to the mark the mark twain which i do i run around on that place a lot and it is really hilly and nasty uh so there are tons of big woods like you're saying lots of hills lots of draws but there's um little pockets of farmland and we don't grow a whole lot of corn or soybeans down here you'll see some of those every once in a while most of it is like fertilized hay fields stuff like that
0: yeah is that because the soil's kind of rocky
1: it i don't know that for effect not a farmer but uh i have a little place here and, and i can tell you from picking up rocks that at least my place is yeah <laughs> you never can pick them up
0: gotcha gotcha and uh another thing that I've heard uh, uh, about southern Missouri is obviously you guys have a rifle season during your rut but there mm-hmm. are times where some deer can slip through the cracks and you guys every once in a while have the ability to shoot you know some some pretty decent deer is that true
1: Oh yeah so I I rifle hunt every year I I love bow hunting I like rifle hunting but I I take every opportunity I can to put a mature buck on the ground. And that rifle season happened during the rut is one of the best chances you have all year.
0: Yep. Yep. And and so um and so the bow season goes up until when? And then when does the rifle season kick off?
1: Yeah, so our bow season is really long actually. So September fifteenth to January fifteenth, the dates stay the same every year. Yep. So which it's nice because you can like really plan, you know, where you're gonna be and what you wanna do for the opener. Uh, The rifle season fluctuates by a couple of days every year, but it is typically around the second weekend in November. So somewhere around like this year, I think it started on the 11th, whatever that Saturday was closest to November 11th. Gotcha. Uh, It always starts whatever weekend is like right in the middle there.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. And it'll
1: run for two weeks or so.
0: Gotcha. All right. So... You reached out to me and you're like, "Hey man, I got a I got a cool story. I, I feel I'd like to share," um, where you gathered some intel. It didn't pay off that year, but it paid off the following year, and so I want to break down this uh, the success you had this year and talk about when that actually when the, the storyline actually started, and so why don't you kind of give us a synopsis on last year's hunting season and what led you to like how you uh like wound down the season with uh, some good intel
1: okay so a lot of my hunting takes place on a piece of property that isn't too far from my house it's about 240 acres and I share that place with a lot of people um the lady that owns it she lets every single neighbor that touch, touches it hunt it. Uh, she's got cousins. and um, j- There's a, a lot of traffic that goes through that place, but kind of like the Lake of the Ozarks terrain, there is some really nasty hills, some steep draws, and some really thick timber back in there that makes it hard to get to. Yep. Uh, no, no maintenance has been done on the property, so there, there's a couple of logging roads that shoot through there, but they have been overgrown with thorns. You literally can't walk through them. In fact, I, I tried to walk through, I killed a doe with a muzzleloader a couple of days ago and I, I packed a, I packed the deer out. I was really far back in there. So instead of dragging it or using a card, I quartered it up, put it in uh, bags and was packing it out. And, uh, the thorn, thorns, that I was trying to walk through kept trying to rip my uh, meat sacks open and, and actually pulled one of them out of my bag. So there's some, it's really hard to get back in, into where the pockets are. You really got to work for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last year, I ended up filling a a tag early season, and I ended up filling a tag in the firearm season. So I, I found myself wanting to kill one more doe for the freezer with my bow, mm-hmm. and I was looking at an area, and I drop a pin everywhere I hunt. I drop pins you know, on Onyx uh, every time I see a tree stand, run into another hunter, and know that they frequent this spot. And I was just kind of looking at an aerial uh, view of this property, and I seen a little... Uh, place that no one goes, and it—it's only about 300 yards from from a road, and it's only about 200 yards from like a neighbor's house. But there had literally been no activity on it. Um, there's a really steep drainage that runs uh, up to the top of a ridge. At the top of that ridge, there's some really thick cedars and uh, thorns and buckbrush, whatever you want to call it. There's some really thick bedding stuff on the top of it and there's a little bench it's probably about 40 yards wide uh the deer don't want to you know cross through those draws they don't want to walk through the thick bedding even though they travel to and from it quite a bit yeah so they'll they'll walk that bench i'm kind of jumping ahead of myself though but i uh i was looking on the map and i was like hey no one's no one's been in here so i'm gonna i got a good wind i'm gonna go in there in the morning and try to kill a doe and uh so I, I basically parallel that ridge I was talking about up there. And at the very top of that ridge on that bench, I find a triple trunk uh, white oak tree, and it's huge. And it, I uh, set my stand up right in the middle of it. And I have a great morning. I see it, I don't end up killing a deer, but I see a ton of deer. And I'm noticing that the draw that I basically paralleled coming up, no deer came from that at all. But there's two draws adjacent to it that are a little bit smaller uh, that deer were coming out of. And using those to cross the bench and go back to bedding. Yeah. And so, after seeing, I probably seen eight or nine uh, deer that morning, a couple of small bucks and a bunch of does. uh, I got down and it was really late in the season. And so, since I hadn't been in that area previously, I decided I was going to take a a really good look around and kind of scout the place out and uh, gather some intel for next year specifically. Awesome. And so, on the way out, one of the little drainages that I, I had paralleled coming in. I had kind of came in on the side of it and I was walking the top of it out and I just started noticing scrape after scrape, after scrape, after rub, after rub. There was a lot of acorn husks on the ground and stuff like that too. And it, it, the sign that looked like it was happening in that area, you know, late October, early November just looked insane. And it was really easy to spot because there was no foliage on the trees or anything like that. So I just kind of made a mental note of that. And then also made a mental note of which draws those deer seemed like they were wanting to come out and use and I just kind of stuffed all that stuff in my back pocket. Uh, and I knew that I would, you know, try to put that to use this season. And that's kind of where last season ended for me.
0: Yeah. And and so bingo, though. Right. And I mean, as for, for a guy who's found success that year and then you run into this new sign that's fairly fresh, that tells you that this is a popular spot where deer and not only just deer, but a buck that, you know, bucks, right. Bucks lay scrapes, bucks lay rubs. And, and so it's, it's a really good transition into the next season. It's almost like, so for me, you know, I didn't find a lot of sign. I have, you know, I have some trail camera pictures, but there's nothing really like I shot my deer. I did some late season stuff, but nothing, you know, I'm definitely excited to get back onto this new farm that I got access to. But I mean, for you, you just located like the x on the the treasure map and so and so once you found that how anxious were you to get back in there you know the the following i don't know season or scouting or whatever it is that you decided to do how long did that take and how excited were you
1: oh i was pretty excited about it instantly you know it's it, it's kind of painful for the season to end because you kind of reflect on, Hey, I would have did this different or, Hey, I would have did that different. Or, Hey, if I had more time, I would go and do this, you know? So it's, you definitely do some little backflips with that stuff. But I, I knew that my chances of running into something, uh, if I, you know, waited for the right wind and the right time of year that I knew that was going to be important too. I knew I was going to have some decent sits in there. So I was pretty jacked about it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So do you run trail cameras at, at all on that piece?
1: no i don't i've so i mentioned that um a lot of people hunt that place i put a trail camera out there once and it got stolen immediately so i never yeah. did that again
0: yeah that sucks man that sucks that there's people like it that. does anyway uh I, I, that...
1: they can they can have the camera too just leave the card you know taped to <laughs> the tree or something that's what i'm after
0: <laughs> exactly exactly um So you really don't know what's running around there other than what, what you see from the, from the stand. Um, As the, you know, as the, the winter became spring, spring became summer, summer became fall. um, Did you put any more effort into boots on the ground scouting out on that piece?
1: Not, uh, not like actually going in and and doing any scouting now, there's a couple of hayfields, uh, a couple of them are the neighbors, a couple of them uh, are this place that you can see from the road, you know. Um, I will glass those from time to time, just to see if anything's in the area. And that's typically where my season starts on that place, is um, right behind some of those hayfields, there's a really uh, thick, really long creek bottom. It's a, it's a dry creek unless it's been raining, you know, and it'll hold water for a little bit. But in the early season, it's noticeably cooler, than a lot of the other places on the property. And so I'll typically start my season, you know, as far as hunting that place, I'll typically start it in there. And usually I'm able to put eyes on one or two bucks that I would like to kill. And I've had some decent success in the past doing that. Um, So that's, that's really the only scouting I do on that place because anything else would be so intrusive. I feel like it may damage my chances later in the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you find it, you you document it, and then you just kind of stay out and 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 wait till the best time to go in there. Right. Right. Did you notice any other hunter sign anywhere close to that little area, that little pocket?
1: No, not really. it's there's really only uh, two ways to get to that particular spot. One of them is you would have to walk up a what used to be like a, a highline where I'm guessing they had some electricity ran years ago or something but it has grown up into, you know, a a thorn patch like I was talking about earlier and it's almost impossible to walk through. The other direction to get to it is you have to go up a a series of pretty steep, nasty draws, you know, and it's the area that I was hunting. um, It's only about 300 yards from the road, but you can't just walk straight to it because you'd have to go through the neighbors. So to actually get to it, you have to, um, it's probably about a, a three quarters of a mile or so back in there. I mean, it's a, it's a decent little hall. So, uh, I pretty, I pretty well have that place and a few other places on the other side of it to myself. And that's where I see and kill most of my deer on that place. Yeah. Is like right in the middle of it, to be honest.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, the 2022 season, you know, comes into play here and, and so now You know, you got this spot in the back of your head. Did you immediately go into there once the season opened or did you hunt other places, bide your time? What was your strategy there?
1: This is hard for me to do because I'm an impatient man, but I actually left it alone. Um, I I told myself, you know, starting last year, I was like, all the sign that was in that place was rut-based activity. I know from previous years running previous trail cams that – At least in my opinion, a lot of our peak uh, scrape, like daytime scrape activity happens, you know, that last week of October. And I didn't see any reason to go in there and mess any of that up. I had some really good intel for that time of year, and I wanted to kind of keep that place in my back pocket for that. So I started off my season hunting those creek beds and a few other spots, you know, some on public land, um, some on farms that I have permission to hunt. I actually was able to put my brother on his first archery buck. Uh, I got permission from some people at work to hunt uh, a little 40 acre patch and there was only about 10 acres of woods on it, but it was just loaded with white oaks. And we went in there one morning and he killed a pretty nice buck um, out of that place. So uh, I don't actually get that many opportunities to hunt. My wife, one of the things that made this year hard is my wife started working mornings this year. And so every morning that I'm off, I have to get my kids ready and take them to school um, where she was doing that before, you know, so it really cut my hunting time in half
0: yeah yeah and then obviously retail working retail are random hours uh you know uh it's not like a seven in the morning till three o'clock you know the the day shift factory work you know where you i'm guessing you could i mean pop out at an evening or or was your work schedule pretty flexible to allow you to get out or is it very limited? Not, not at all. Yeah,
1: <laughs> not at all. Yeah. And in fact, like a lot of our peak uh, traffic times um, are, are, you know, around black Friday and Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So it's, it's been a, a, a difficult time to get time off during the rut too. I'm usually able to take a little bit of time off during that time period, but yeah, it is tough.
0: Yeah. So, this is where efficiency comes into play, right? This is where waiting for the right moment and striking is really the, you know, back in the day when I was younger, it was hunt every single day, all day, like whatever you wanted to do, right? No family, no rules, shit. I, I was, um, I worked for a, uh, a landscaper. And he would let me, he's like, do you want to work, you know, you can work as much as you want or as little as you want. And so I worked all summer and then, you know, here comes October 1st and it's just like, ah, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take today off. I'm going to take today off. I'm not working. I'm not working. I'm not working. And it wasn't vacation days. It was just money that I didn't make. And, uh, and so as life happens, right, you know, kids and job and all that stuff, the thought process going into how much time and strategy and all that stuff happens outside of the woods. Right. So that when you do get the opportunity to hunt, I feel like I I was thinking about hunting more, but actually hunting less, if that makes sense.
1: It it absolutely does. And and it changes the way you do things. And that's one of the reasons that led me to staying out of that place. I'm like, I may only get to hunt it one or two times. I won't have time to go in there and blow it out. Let it cool down. Come back in. I may have one or two shots at it, and that's it. Yeah. So,
0: as you start to think about this, then when are you starting to think? Like, when's the best time to get in there? Like, like, because for me, I go, I say, man, like I want to be in there right now. I want to be if it's if it was good last year. I want to be in there immediately to maybe get something hung get a set hung and leave it in the tree or maybe take down a couple sticks or something. I don't know how you hunt or like, I'm guessing uh, a saddle or some kind of mobile setup.
1: Yeah. I just have an XOP. It's yeah. kind of like a lone wolf stand, you know, Yep, yep. a lightest model of that. And then some Hawk helium sticks. Yep. But I, I don't have any permanent stands out. I just take it with me and it's gotten a lot easier now. Cause I used to, on average, I would sit about 40 times a year, not 40 days. You know, I count, if I go in in the morning and come out and then go to a different place in an evening, those are two different sits, yep. you know, but yep. I usually average about 40 of those and it's been cut down to about anywhere between 14 to 20 Yeah, for the past couple of years.
0: Yeah. So that's, you, t- you take that, you you divide it by two, you know, cause that's each a day. Let's say if you do a morning, that's roughly, that's roughly 10 days of, of hunting, 10 to 14 days of hunting in, in a given year. And so. I do way more than that and and so again, coming back to the efficiency, uh, when did you think the best time? When were you thinking about making your first strike in on that little area?
1: I, I, I knew it was gonna be the end of October. I didn't know what day specifically because I was gonna have to wait on a pretty specific wind. yep uh, to get back in there. But I knew that you know on the in, anywhere in the back half of October, if I had a decent wind, and some, some, okay, weather to go with it, that I was going to go back in there. It took a lot of, uh, (laughs) it took a lot of self-control to not do that because the season leading up to that point was super slow. I usually on that property, like you said, I don't run trail cameras. I will sit until I see a deer and then I will just start doing, um, you know, different sits around where I've seen that deer and try to catch up on them that way, uh, based on sign and other sightings and i had been dry up until that point i had jumped one other buck up on a different property that i was hunting and it was crazy because he was bedded behind a row of hay bales that were just like out in the middle of nowhere i walked past him and this giant deer stands up and jumps out and uh, i I hunted that deer a couple of times too uh, because there was only one or two fingers of woods and I, i watched you know which one he ran into but Uh, There wasn't very many places he could be living. So I thought that was a pretty uh, high odds hunt, but didn't have any luck there. Uh, But it it was really hard not to go in there because I literally had seen the one buck that I jumped up and that was it. And I've usually put eyes on two or three by that point that I'm trying to run down. You know. Yeah. So it was tough not to go in there.
0: Yeah. Man, I I had a conversation with a guy last month. Um, He killed two, like back to back years, two giant whitetails And, uh, I think they both might've been, no, they might've been, they might both have been 200, but it doesn't matter. Um, he, he was holding out until November like 11th to, to start hunting these farms. And I'm just like, dude, you know, like that, just number one, knowing that there's good deer in there and then having the guts to hold off that long. It says something about uh, a hunter's character and what they're like, what they're willing to do to achieve a goal. And I think there's a lot of confidence that goes into that too, right? I mean, it's like you know that you're not going to have a good hunt if you go in there October first. You got to wait until the sign starts popping up, the deer start moving a little bit more, you know, things like that. And and so that says a lot to your strategy and, and how you how strongly you felt or how, how confident you were in your, in, in the strategy you thought was going to work.
1: In that situation. Yes. I've had probably 12 to 20 yeah. other ones where I gave in. And I wasn't <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I feel that I, I do this, I'm the same way.
1: Yeah. This happened to be the one that I didn't, and it, it did pay off, you know, so mm-hmm. I might uh, consider doing that more in the future, but no, historically, I have terrible self-control, and I, yeah. I'm like, I know they're in there, and I just I dive in after them.
0: Okay. Let's talk about this this particular spot specifically. Why do you think the deer liked that area and there was so much sign on that little shelf?
1: Number one, and this this is, yeah, I'm a huge believer in this. I know a lot of the guys you have on here will say the same thing, but it pressure there was no one that had been in there for a super long time yeah. and all the all the neighbors hunt you know the people that hunt that place they're typically hunting the creek beds the the hay pastures and the the sections of woods that are easy to get to and yeah. they were in the only section of woods that isn't easy to get to and there's also quite a bit of uh mature timber like big white oaks and stuff like that back in there yep so i'd say that played into it too and then the last thing is there is um a, a pretty big section, it's probably two to three acres of really, really thick overgrown cedar thorn type uh, bedding habitat. Um, and then on the other side, there's that high line where it's grown up, you know? And so there, it really is almost like an edge where there's a couple of different terrain types meeting. You've got bedding, you've got open timber with food, and then you've got that more CRP stuff that they can move through a little bit freer than like where the bedding is. but I would say that there's probably three different terrain types coming together right there. Yeah, really, just like the perfect storm, to yeah. be honest.
0: Yeah, you know how rare those those number one how rare those places actually are, and number two how <laughs> how rare it is for a hunter to identify those places, right? Because a lot of guys may, probably would have walked right by it, and never thought anything of it. You stopped, you absorbed the information and it ultimately led to your success so um two two things that were rare that happened to you in my opinion where you're smart enough to figure it out
1: lucky enough probably (laughs) lucky (laughs) enough
0: there you go there you go um okay so that's why that's why the sign was there that's why the deer were there um when one kind of random question here on some of the places that you hunt that do have the pressure. Do you feel that deer sacrifice cover when there's pressure? And what I mean by that is if there's pressure in some thick areas, have you noticed them staying in the thick areas or have you noticed them moving out of the thick areas into more wide open, less traditional cover?
1: Man, that's tough. Um this is 100 percent just my opinion you know because i mean every hunter every every deer hunter's experience is going to vary but i i don't notice anything related to so that that deer that my brother killed it was in wide open timber like they have cattle grazing in there most of the year so all the underbrush is gone and we killed a deer in in very sparse like almost no cover like you can see for almost 150 yards through the woods, you know, and at eight o'clock in the morning, there's three bucks feeding just white out in right out in an acorn flat. And the only, you know, reason I can figure that they were there is that, uh, this older couple that gave me permission has not had anyone that hunted that place in like five or six years. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, I, I think they'll take it if it's there, but I think above anything else, they just want to be somewhere where people aren't
0: okay so now it's time right you you've been patient you you say to yourself it's game time now uh i want to get in there and slay walk us through the access route you took from your truck to the tree stand location and why that access route was important in in retrospect to the wind direction
1: Gotcha. So the the wind direction I had, there is those draws that I was talking about. There's three of them, one big one, and there's two smaller ones that kind of parallel it off to the side. And those two smaller ones seem to be holding all the deer. So I knew immediately that I was going to walk up the big draw that I hadn't seen any deer activity out of. I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it's really deep and I figured it would mask a lot of the sound and, and obviously the side of me coming in there. But two, uh with the thermals you know kind of sinking in the morning i really felt like it was going to trap a lot of my scent because it was a dead morning like there was almost no wind and i was thinking that i was going to have to rely mostly on thermals uh for you know my scent game plan and i figured that draw would uh one hold a lot of my scent in there and two the tree that i set up at the very tip of it uh i felt like it would pull my scent down towards that draw and if anything was approaching on either side i would be able to uh shoot you know before it, before it got into my scent stream, but basically I got out of my truck and there's a, um, a two track that goes to some hay fields. So I, I basically walked that for 20 yards and then, um, had to beat some brush to get into this draw. Uh, and then I basically just took my time and crept up that draw super slow. And when I got to the top, I knew I was going back to that same tree I was in last time. Um, At the very top of that draw, like I said, there's a bench that's probably 40, 50 yards wide. That tree is probably about 10 yards into that bench, but closer to the the tip of that draw where I really felt it was going to bring my scent back down into. Um, But it gave me a 30-yard shot across the rest of it, so I knew that was where I wanted to be. Um, I'm probably within 40 yards of that cedar bedding I was talking about, and I'm probably within 60 yards of those other two draws but last time i was there those deer came out of those draws and walked over to the bedding i was discussing earlier yeah and so i, I felt like it was going to put any deer that came out within probably about 30 yards of me gotcha um i got there turned off the headlamp and put my tree stand in the middle of those that triple trunk oak tree i was talking about earlier so every trunk was almost too big to wrap my arms around it was a pretty massive tree um and i put my my tree stand right in the middle. I film all my hunts. I post them on uh, uh, the YouTube channel, man versus deer. So I set up my camera arm pretty slow. I've got a pretty specific process for that. The bow comes up first because I can't tell you how many, and it doesn't matter when you're hunting in the morning. Right. But I've hunted a lot of times in the evening where I haven't pulled my bow up first and it's bit me in the ass. Right.
0: So
1: I make sure I do that. But I got, I got set up uh, pretty quietly. I've focused on getting set up quietly more than quickly. You know, I made sure I got in there early to give myself enough time to do that. And, uh, just kind of watch the sun come up from there.
0: Gotcha. All right. And, and by the way, like you found another rarity is the perfect tree, right? I love those triple trunk. I have, a on the farm I just lost, I had a tree where it was, uh, a terrain feature, that it was like this this little spur ridge met a a very small draw met a pond and so it created this just money pinch point and and it was a triple like a quadruple or triple or you know just this huge cluster of trees and i just put my stand right in the center of it and so i was just concealed right so from a from a vision standpoint, even if something looked up at me, they're just seeing this, this mess of trees. And, and so that's another rarity to find a tree that has that much cover in it. And so that again, like it, I, I'm, I'm listening to this story and I'm just seeing this, the chips start to stack in your favor. You know what I mean? And so you're, you get set up, you're ready to go. Sun starts coming up. What did you see
1: uh, once it got light? So in in the gray light, you know, uh, before legal shooting light, but you can still kind of see. I I seen some younger bucks chasing some does around. At least I think that's what it was. Um, You could could hear For sure, because I could hear it more than I could see it, yeah. Yeah. And so I I instantly knew I was going to have an action-packed morning, you know. Yep. And as soon as the sun comes up, I have a a little spike buck um, trail on a doe right in front of me, which I wouldn't say they were chasing. Uh, the bucks weren't like pursuing very, very hard, but they were definitely bumping the does around. Like the does would let the bucks get so close to them. And then they would run away for a little bit and then they would both eat. And then the bucks, you know, the little bucks would come over and sniff around a little bit and they would be like, Hey, I don't like you over here. And they, the does were just trying to keep separation. Um, so I knew that some of that rutting activity was, was starting to pick up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I had a group of about three does come in right under my tree and it it had been such a, uh, a difficult season. So far, I had to exercise a lot of self-control there because it was a big nanny doe. And, uh, I was, I had to really fight myself back to not shoot that deer because she was just right there broadside, like 10 yards from the tree.
0: Right.
1: Um, but I ultimately ended up decided deciding not to, which was a good call. And, uh, I had another group of does come in after that. Well, it was actually a group of two small bucks and one doe. Yeah. Were and then, were you
0: planning to sit the whole day?
1: No, no, I had to, uh, I had some, I can't, I forget exactly what it was, but I had something to do the second part of the day. So I was just hunting that morning. Gotcha. All right. Um, about eight o'clock I noticed a, uh, I seen some antlers coming from like where the bedding and that CRP meet. Yep. there's a little trail that leads out Yep. and, not in the direction I typically see deer coming from from that area, but I see some antlers coming. And so I start looking through the binoculars, and it's probably about, I don't know, an eighty or ninety inch deer. smaller buck wasn't interested in shooting him, you know. Yeah. and uh, he comes he comes out from my left and he starts walking towards the draw that I came up out of when I planned my access route out. So that makes me a little bit nervous, and I, I see him kind of catch my ground scent and get a little bit like, nervous too and eventually he settles down and he starts eating right there in front of me at about 30 yards well after about 15 minutes of that i notice him he's staring hard into the the two draws like one of the two draws that i was talking about that i see deer come up out of he's staring really hard and so it makes me start looking that direction too and i see a doe start to come out of one of those draws and then probably about two minutes later that doe is out feeding in front of him and he has no interest in her And he is still like laser beaming the bottom of these two draws and i'm like there's probably a buck down there i think he's worried that uh you know that buck make whatever's down there is going to come up there and give him trouble because there's a doe there and they've every other deer i've seen has been like you know super hyper focused on does and this guy doesn't care about her he's laser beaming the bottom of this and sure enough about a minute or two after that i see some dark chocolate antlers and i instantly know you know if if you've ever you don't have to look through binoculars to tell if a deer is mature like when you see him you just know yes. you, you don't have to look at him you just they have they walk different they look different um you you don't have to guess you just know and i, I instantly know i'm like oh my gosh that's one that's a deer that i want to shoot and uh he walks up through the same path that that doe did sees that little buck that had been looking at him and starts making his way over there. Some of the hairs on his back bristle a little bit. And I can, I can tell from him walking up that he's got a lot of gray in his face and I can see his antlers are almost past his ears and and they look real heavy. And I'm I'm just getting super excited because you, you don't have too many moments like that and you got to sit back and appreciate the ones that you do, you know?
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: And he comes over to where that little deer is and, uh, as soon as he gets close gets close to that little deer that little deer like you know increases the space in between them he doesn't want to be anywhere near him and they both uh are probably within 30 yards of me now but i've got i've got some stuff in between me and that other deer that are going to stop me from shooting them yep and that big deer this is something else that they do different too he freezes and when i say freezes i mean he doesn't move and he almost disappears into the timber. Like when they stop moving like that, it's really hard to pick him back out if there's any kind of foliage in the way. Yep. And he literally he's pretty close to my where I where I came up at now. Um he didn't take the path that most of those other deer took. He kind of stayed down in the thicker stuff, which uh I, I know better, you know. I I didn't know which direction one might come from, but uh that should have been something that I maybe planned for. I was thinking when it was happening, but He's sitting there, and and I'm wondering, you know, has he got my ground scent? Does that other deer have him nervous? Like, what in the world is going on? Right. Because he literally just stands there like a statue for 10 minutes. Got my heart about beating out of my chest, and I'm just kind of waiting for him to do whatever he's going to do so I can, you know, plan my next move. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, a doe pops out from the bedding behind me and starts feeding, and he looks that way, and he starts slowly kind of creeping over to where that doe is. So I get a, I get a beat on his line of travel. I turn my main camera. There's like a little crook in the branches and I turn my main camera towards where I think I'm going to be able to shoot him at. And of course the camera can't see over that little crook in those branches, but
0: I've got a second
1: angle on my bow. I run a GoPro. uh, So I I didn't worry about that too much when those big deer are in front of me like that. If I get it on film, I get it on film. If not, I'd, I'd still rather have the deer, you know? Yep. But i got to you know i've got both my cameras running at this point and this crook in the tree is probably about at my belly button and he's getting pretty close to it so his head goes behind a tree i draw back and he steps in between those two branches and he's walking slow enough i don't even stop him because i feel like it may do more harm than good at this point um let an arrow go at about 25 yards and it made a sound that if if you've ever experienced before, you know, like I knew as, as soon as I heard that sound, I'm like, that's a dead deer. That's a double lung shot.
0: Yeah. Like a, like a th- whap.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but y- you know it when you hear it, you yep. know, it's, you don't even have to see the arrow, which I, I had a, a Luminoff on there, you know, so I, I watched it pass through and stick in the dirt behind him, but did he make a noise I just, just,
0: when just when you hit him like a, like a, uh, uh
1: very slightly. Um, yeah, it just kind of, of like letting the air out of him, you know, yep. Uh, yep. really hard to explain, but if you've ever experienced it, you just know, um, he, he ran, not even ran. He basically took off at like a, a fast jog, I would call it. Um, and as about the 50 yard mark, he turned and started to go down one of those draws. And I saw him like go down right there. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, cause he obviously like when he went down into that draw, when he fell down into it, I couldn't see him past that point, but I just knew from what I had watched that, you know, he had went down right there. And
0: yeah, did I was you realize, pretty excited about that. Yeah. I mean, did you get an opportunity as he's working his way up towards you from that thick stuff to like put your eyes on his antlers and understand how good of a deer this was?
1: Not fully. Okay. Um, There's a lot of foliage and, yeah. and it's it's always hard to see exactly what you got there. I, I just knew he was a mature deer, and when I wanted to shoot, I could tell that his antlers were just past his ears. He's, he doesn't have the widest track ever, you know, but um, I could tell just by looking at him that he, one, I love those chocolate horned ears, so I knew he was that, and two, I knew he was pretty wide because he was out to his ears, and then you could tell his antlers were thicker than normal, so I, I knew it was going to be a, a great buck.
0: Yeah. How long did you stay in the stand before you got down to go track?
1: Oh, probably about 20 minutes.
0: 20 minutes. Okay. Any, any phone calls? Uh, Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got a few hunting buddies that I call every time. And I I had a buddy that was hunting on the same property as me. It was the start of the the youth season. That was the start of our uh, uh, Missouri youth season. And so I was actually wearing hunter orange and there was gunshots going off all morning, but I was, I was in a little pocket all to myself, you know, Yep. didn't seem to affect those guys much. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I had to wait a second to make some phone calls. And then of course, you know, I I was filming everything. So I did my little interview thing and I had to, I'm, I'm one of those guys that gets like overly hyped, uh, get a little bit of the shakes and (laughs) I can't really talk for a second after that happens. So about 10 minutes of that was like me calming down from everything. And then the other 10 minutes of that was like doing my little camera interview and then calling a few people.
0: Yep. Awesome. So you get down, you get to the, uh, the impact site uh did you find your arrow right away
1: yeah it was it was stuck in the dirt it made a clean pass through and uh was stuck in the dirt just a little bit so good blood walked over there mm-hmm. good yeah. blood uh it wasn't wasn't crazy good you know but it was you could follow it at a, at a decently fast walk and i'm shooting in case anybody's wondering i'm shooting a schwacker okay. um but it's it's a 150 grain head instead of a uh 100 grain head and it's got a three inch cut on it. So wow. it, when everything goes right, it is pretty devastating. Is
0: that a cross, um, is that a crossbow
1: head? No, I, so I've actually, I had the I, I bought some of those by mistake before I got the ones that I did. Yeah. Um, but it, it's actually, it's the ones that I ended up with aren't, you know, but I, I, I did buy some of those by mistake because typically when you're shooting a head that weighs that much, they, a lot of them are crossbow, crossbow made, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cause uh, man, I I did the same thing where I accidentally picked up a package that was 150 grain inch, and when I called the company to ask questions about it, they said, "Well, that's typically for a that's typically for uh, a crossbow bolt, but I guess you could use it if you re- if you really wanted to. You just had to make sure that you had a heavy arrow to go with it." Um, and so, I don't know. I I think that here in the next couple of years, I'm currently shooting a 100 grain broadhead myself, but I think I'm going to jump up to a, you know, uh, a one fifty, 125, 150 uh, in the next, I don't know, maybe this year, maybe not.
1: Yeah, I I kind of started to jump on that heavy arrow train. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I actually bought some fixed blade broadheads that were really heavy. My problem with them and why I ended up going back is that I was basically having to tune each broadhead and the knock on each arrow to get them to fly straight. Right. And I'm just not that meticulous of a guy. Um, right. <laughs> I, I can't go through and tune every arrow yeah. and do all that stuff. And I, I do agree with a lot of the science and stuff behind that, you know, as far as, you know, penetrating the shoulder and stuff like that, I'm sure that those are uh, superior in that aspect, but I just don't have the, uh, uh, I guess the the mental follow through to, have a setup that requires that much tinkering you know what i mean
0: yeah absolutely absolutely all right you follow blood how long did it take till he fell over
1: i basically just walked straight to him it's it's where i had seen him fall he had to fall down the hill a little bit but that was it he died okay. within sight you know
0: gotcha gotcha uh,
1: probably ran a total of 50 yards
0: all right and so you walk over to him You're standing over top of him. You reach down to pick his head up for the first time. Did you realize what you had shot at this point as far as, like, because I I hear Southern Missouri. I see your picture, and I I say that is an above-average deer for that area. I mean, were you pretty geeked out about this whole thing?
1: Oh, man. Way better than what I thought I had just shot. You know, I knew I would shot a good deer, but— um the mass on this thing is insane
0: yeah
1: uh and then like where the antlers start to turn it's thick enough that it almost looks palmated yep and perfectly symmetrical deer i I ended up after i killed him i did a euro mount on him and uh and you know tape scored him you know and he only had a half inch difference uh and i'm not i'm not a master scorer or anything like that but Uh, He only had a a half-inch difference as far as, like, being off from one side to the other. So almost perfectly symmetrical deer. And uh, I have a a taxidermy business I actually started. I just do Euro mounts, so Euro mounts and turkey tail fin mounts, that kind of thing. I started that because I wanted to start doing some out-of-state hunting, Uh, but I felt guilty about maybe taking some of the the money that I was making – Because it it costs a lot of money to do that, you know, and I didn't want to impact my family. So I was like, I'll start start doing, you know, these mounts on the side. And any money that I make from that, you know, will be my play money. And I'll use that for my out-of-state hunting and stuff like that. And uh, where I was going with that is um, I only – I probably did 40 or 50 European mounts this year. And I I only had one or two deer that were bigger than mine that I did. And one of them was a Kansas deer. Okay. So as, right. as far as Missouri deer go, I only ran into one other one um, that, I, that I, you know, personally seen that was bigger than the one I got. He was really, really nice deer for the area.
0: Awesome. And so when you put the tape to him, what did, what, you know, for the listeners out there, what did he score?
1: 148.
0: 148. Man, that's a good deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainframe 10.
1: Mainframe 10, yep.
0: Yeah. That's, does that 148 with deductions or without?
1: No, that's gross. Gross. Okay. So right, without cool. the deductions. Yep, yep. And like I said, I, in no way am I an expert at that. So that, that could be way off.
0: Well, I'll <laughs> I tell you from, you from the picture. The
1: scoring sheet off of Google. And, yeah.
0: From the picture, he looks bigger than that. But again, I'm not an expert. And plus, I, I suck at field judging, uh, you know, score. <laughs> but with that said, man, congratulations. Um, you know, I, I really do think that the story here is uh, finding or being able to identify the sign and where it was located in that terrain and having the, I don't know what the right word is, the patience to stay out of there until a really good time of the year. And uh, for, You know, like they say, first time in, best time in. And it sounds like that's what happened with you.
1: It, it, yeah, definitely, and if, I hope that I retain the self control from that experience because it definitely paid off, and I can
0: <laughs> yeah. I can
1: probably use that again in the future for sure.
0: Absolutely. Well, and the same thing, right? I mean, you you found this spot, you waited, and it just reinforces the fact that waiting is a good thing. And so, stay out of there, and, and unless you know, unless you have some really good intel or a cold front or some something that makes you say oh i need to be in there now but it sounds to me like you got a little honey hole and uh don't tell anybody about it
1: (laughs) yeah there's only uh uh, one of my buddies came and helped me pack him out but he's a a decent guy so and honestly i I hope he goes in there and kills one you know i'd like to see him get in there and get one so Cool, cool that's the only other person that really knows where that spot is yeah if anyone is uh interested in watching that hunt like i said i do film all my stuff it goes on the youtube channel uh, for man versus deer and all of the hunts i do are catch clean cook style so i actually take uh some of the bottom round roasts and make some uh, deer jerky in the smoker with it that turns out to be really really good so awesome man yeah go check that out and uh
0: man congratulations on one heck of a hunt uh thank you for taking time out of your day to share the story with us and, and good luck in the future man
1: yes sir hey i appreciate you having me and it's always fun to talk here with you dan
0: and there you have it ladies and gentlemen another episode in the books huge shout out to tethered wasp hunt stand and vortex for uh partnering with us long story short they pay my bills and i talk about their brands uh advertising 101 and then if you're looking to give back in 2023 look no further than two percent for conservation fish and uh, huge shout out to all of you huge shout out to the partners huge shout out to my wife and my kids huge shout out to my brand new dog that i don't like but uh, i have to now because i paid for him he wasn't cheap and uh and i can't get rid of him so i got to learn whoop that's my wife calling right there so i'm gonna let you guys go have a good rest of your day Thank <music> you.